Hey folks, welcome back to the Dark Horse Podcast, the podcast we know that God loves because nothing ever goes wrong. How was that? Is the uh, is the sound fixed? Do we know? Do we know? We don't know. How about my sound? Anyone? Do either of us right. sound like Barry White? That's the question on the table. I guess we yes. will find out soon enough. For the vast majority of people who are listening to this who weren't here for our first start 10, 15, 20 minutes ago, I don't know, was it hours by now? Um, apparently the sound was off enough that some reports came in uh, that I sounded just a bit deeper than usual, but Brett actually sounded like Barry White, which was... Um, People were wondering if this was maybe intentional, but no, it was Right, it was not. an opportunity to reinvent myself had I seen it coming, mm-hmm. but uh, caught off guard as I was, it did not uh, did not work out that yeah, way. Yeah, did not work out that way. Here we are, episode number 105. Episode number one. That was actually going to be my guess. Mm, was it? Yes. Was it? I'm not sure why I have to guess. You would think I have as much information on this topic as anyone, but uh, that was going to be my guess. It's going to be your guess. Well, we have... Um, we have, as usual, uh, a lot of things to talk to you guys about today. We also, as well, it's not just going to be our live streams, um, hopefully every Saturday for um, the the foreseeable future, but we're going to get back into some of these um, hosted episodes with outside guests. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a, something for everyone, but there's definitely something for, for some people there. It will be... Uh, quite jaw-dropping in in many regards. Yeah, these these episodes are. We have something for some of you, some of the time. Right, exactly. It's a little. It's the opposite of the internet. But <laughs> even though, ironically, it's here we on are the on the yep. internet. All right, we're going to be talking a bit uh, about Catch Twenty uh, Two. We, I've read to you before from Catch Twenty Two. I've forgotten. I didn't take a note of what episode that was in, but we've got a different excerpt today to talk about. Um, it seems apropos. A, a number of people feel like they're in catch, actual Catch-22s right now, so this is not actually about the the situation that Heller named in the title of the book, but uh, something from the book. Um, some, you know, I'm not going to tell us. I'm not going to talk about where all we're going. We're just going a bunch of places. We're going to finish up by talking a little bit about place. If they want to know, they got to stick around place and the moment we're in and thanksgiving and being grateful and and all of that all right yeah so um we at the moment we are on youtube and odyssey uh it's not working very well in either place unfortunately but that's where we are at the moment chat is live on odyssey you can ask questions for the q a at darkhorsesubmissions.com right now at my patreon the 48 hour period during which you can ask questions that we will then consider for our live q a at the end of every month is on so uh you can join there now and we we have a new product uh in our store for the first time we're going to have at least four more in the next couple of weeks um knowing that some number of people are going to be uh thinking about um thinking about purchasing things for their family and friends in the upcoming weeks. It's a great way to support us and to do some of your holiday shopping. That's right. Um, we have uh, we have been working with just an amazing artist who uh, next week actually will be able to link to some of his other work. Or, um, but Zach, if you would show my screen for the moment. Oops. This is uh, the newest art. Welcome to Complex Systems. For those who are only listening, it's got... A crocodilian with a bird plover in its mouth, uh, doing sort of the tooth cleaning that uh, that 
that crocodilians have in association with with birds under some circumstances. And we're gonna this is gonna be the first in a series of welcome to complex systems. We you know this is a phrase we use a lot, and there are just complex systems everywhere you look. The other uh, few things that we have coming out in the next couple of weeks aren't welcome to complex systems. We'll have more of those too. So that is available in hoodie, in t-shirts, I think on a tote bag, and the rendering here is not perfect, but the art is gorgeous. It's really, really beautiful. Yes. Uh, if demand is high enough, we will endeavor to get this on a radio telescope. Really? Yes. Mm. So For purchase by individuals? Uh, for viewing at a great distance. I see. Yeah. That's terrific. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be one of those days, I guess. I, th I think, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think it is. Um, okay, why don't we just go right into the ads? We've got three ads this week. Um, and let's, let's do it. All right. Uh, we are grateful to our sponsors. As we have mentioned before, we choose our sponsors carefully. We do not, uh, read ads for anyone, any products that we actually do not support. So we, we are truthfully and honestly, uh, thrilled to have these guys as our sponsors and I'm very pleased with these products. The first ad for this week is relief band, a product that can help with nausea. First, though, a little bit about nausea. Under ancient circumstances and some modern ones, nausea was generally a useful signal that something is off. You'd eaten something that you shouldn't have or were near something emanating a bad smell, itself a signal that you should not get near that thing. In modernity, we still need to track our bodily sensitivities. We should not always choose to simply erase discomfort, like nausea, whenever we feel it. That said, some of modernity creates nausea that does no good at all. Travel sickness, for instance, can be agonizing and relief would be lovely. Enter relief band. Relief Band is an anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to relieve and prevent nausea associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, chemotherapy, and more. Relief Band is 100% drug-free and can be used for as long as you need it. Developed over 20 years ago, it is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. And Relief Band just released its newest model, Relief Band Sport. The Sport is waterproof, features interchangeable bands, and has extended battery life. We asked a friend to try it out. Here is her testimonial, because we, we are lucky enough, neither of us, to particularly experience nausea, so we were unwilling to have this as a sponsor unless we knew someone who we trust very well who could attest to its awesomeness, and she does. She says, I used to have nausea on a near daily basis for both anxiety and the need to take regular medication. Relief Band relieves my nausea in less than three minutes without the side effects I was experiencing from anti-nausea medication. It has entirely changed my life for the better. So, if you've got nausea from anxiety or car or seasickness or something else that you cannot otherwise disable, consider Relief Band. As the holiday season quickly approaches, there's never been a better time to give the gift of relief and make sure your loved ones are nausea-free. Right now, Relief Band is running their biggest sale of the year. Head to Relief Band, you'll receive 25% off all orders. You don't even need a promo code. Don't miss out on this deal. That's R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and receive 25% off all orders through November 28th. All right. You know, I'm beginning to miss travel so much, I might even miss travel sickness at some point. Oh, man. Yes. Yes, I know. Yes. All right. Our second sponsor is Public Goods. Public Goods can simplify your life as a one-stop shop for everyday essentials. Their ingredients are carefully sourced, high quality, and affordable. Public Goods has ramen and mustard, deodorant and dental floss, shampoo, coffee, a French press to make it in. They've got grain-free granola, which I think should be called grain-free grain granola, but, <laughs> uh, and curry paste, flatware and towels. 
There's so much at Public Goods to make a meal and the materials to serve it on. We've tried several of their products and have not been disappointed. Public Goods products have a great design, too. The aesthetic is simple and clean. This is such an important point. The stuff looks good, and it does not impose. Uh, There are no garish colors. Um, We don't want the products that we use to draw attention themselves, so Public Goods is a great fit. Public Goods cares about health and sustainability. Their products are largely free of harmful ingredients and additives, and the ingredients are ethically sourced. They also plant one tree for every order placed. Finally, their subscription service is efficient and simple and easy to use. Public Goods members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place. It really is an everything store. For Dark Horse listeners, we have the following offer. Receive $15 off your first Public Goods order with no minimum. They are so confident that you will absolutely... love their products and come back again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. Go to publicgoods.com slash darkhorse. Use the code darkhorse at checkout. That is publicgoods, P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash darkhorse to receive $15 off your first order. All right. And finally, this episode is sponsored by Four Sigmatic. And I am now talking, Zachary. I'm sorry. Finally, this episode is sponsored by Four Sigmatic, a wellness company known for its delicious mushroom coffee, as well as protein powders that contain mushrooms. I know that sounds weird, a little bit off-putting. I was skeptical, but I've been drinking their mushroom coffee lately most mornings, and it's very, very good. Four Sigmatic's mushroom coffee contains organic, fair trade, single origin Arabica coffee with both lion's mane and shaga mushrooms. Four Sigmatic's Grand Mushroom Coffee with Lion's Mane adds a little something, some crispness, some focus, I sense. It's delicious, just like your favorite coffee, dark and nutty. All Four Sigmatic products are organic, vegan, and gluten-free, and every batch is third-party lab-tested to ensure its purity and safety. Four Sigmatic has a 100% money-back guarantee, love every sip or get your money back. We have an exclusive offer with Four Sigmatic on their best-selling mushroom coffee for Dark Horse listeners. Get up to 40% off, that's 4-0, plus free shipping on mushroom coffee bundles. To claim this deal, go to foursigmatic.com slash darkhorse. I should say forward slash, and I never do. I think people know. They know. They know. Yeah. Um, That's Four Sigmatic, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash darkhorse, and fuel your productivity and creativity with some delicious mushroom coffee all right all right again we are very grateful for our sponsors and um excuse me they in an era of um demonetization and shadow banning and and a great epidemic of cowardice and the great epidemic of cowardice um are uh are helping us helping us do this they are demonstrating um, courage which is, it's tough. If you're in business, it's tough. Yeah. So we, uh, we are really grateful to them, and supporting them is a way to get your needs taken care of as you support us and support businesses that are demonstrating courage that is all too rare. Indeed. And we've been thinking a lot about courage this week and about compliance and about, um, really, at some level, this, this just little excerpt from Catch-22, which you had remembered and I, and I found in, in our book here, um, was prompted by our talking about how so many of the renditions of the, the resistors, the, um, those, those who do not comply, those who uh, say, no, I'm not going along, 
the the life that is portrayed of them tends to be one of um, one of darkness and um, paucity and it's of one of austerity austerity and sort of you know the image that comes to mind it's always it's sort of like a grayscale you know liquid of unknown provenance dripping from ducts onto you you can't ever quite get warm or dry there are very few comforts it's a dreary dark choice but you know if you're that kind of person then you go and we wanted to talk about the other way to view this right and in fact the reality so there's of course a great deal of effort invested in spooking people into imagining that if they say what they see then terrible things will befall them and that you know that keeps a lot of people in line and it's not that you don't want rats crawling over your toes while you sleep do you i don't no, I, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that, that's the sort yeah. of thing that, that that's that's the imagery, right? Like, okay, you step out of line and pretty before you know it, that's the kind of life you're going to be having. Right. And indeed, you know, uh, in the current, I should point out that when you say resistors, there is this hashtag resistance thing that I don't want any part oh, of. Oh, I don't even know that. Um, well, it's a, you know, it, it's a throwback to the, um, the election and in fact, the 2016 election. But the idea is it's a branded kind of resistance mm-hmm. rather than people who are actually resisting the orthodoxy. In mm-hmm. fact, it's become a kind of orthodoxy. But nonetheless, uh, there is this interesting phenomenon where if you actually do first principles thinking, you call it like you see it, and you do so publicly things do happen, mm-hmm. right? And not all of them are good, to be sure. And we have um, lost uh, quite a number of friends in uh, in recent times uh, over calling it like we see it uh, uh, with respect to issues related to the pandemic. Guess what else, though? The other thing, though, what they don't manage to convey is that this causes a kind of upgrade in your social life because the mm-hmm. people who... Uh, you know, publicly chastise you in such circumstances are actually not high quality. They may seem like it under normal circumstances, but when the chips are down, they won't be there. And that's actually uh, a very uh, important thing to know. We learned this at Evergreen too. Right. But let's, let's just be very clear. And I know, you know, the, the viewers who are longtime viewers who are coming here because they find something of value uh, will not have made this error. Um, but I could hear what you just said as suggesting that if you get critiqued, you know that person isn't, oh, no, no, no. isn't yeah. doing you a solid and isn't worth having a No, no. A, a great friend will critique you. They will do Absolutely. it carefully. But yeah. there is uh, you know, there's this public distancing thing that uh, is of a very different sort. And we saw this at Evergreen. And of course, the first yeah. time we learned this lesson when this happened at Evergreen, you know, there were lots of people who we had thought were our friends who turned out not to be up to the challenge. But a great many people emerged, and the point was the trade was very positive, mm-hmm. right? The upgrade in the quality of people that surrounded us was amazing. Now, well, that, what we would say at the time, in fact, was that there were surprises on both in both directions, and we've been we've begun asking some of the some of our new friends, some of the people whom we are coming into contact with. Okay, when you when you spoke up, when you became public on whatever topic it is um, that you are now persona non grata in your former social circles, did you find you know what did you find? We try not to lead the witness. You know, we try not to tell people what it is that we already think we know, and what what people say over and over again is it, it is a reaffirmation of what we, we ourselves found, which is that there are surprises in both directions, meaning that some of the people who we thought um, would be 
um, loyal as friends, even if they didn't agree with the conclusions, um, were not, you know, were cowardly, were disloyal, uh, did not act as friends. And some people with whom we actually didn't know that we had any affinity or affiliation at all stood up and um, acted courageously and boldly because they too could not bear uh, to observe uh, an injustice or, you know, um, you know, authoritarianism flying under the banner of anti-racism or science or whatever it is, yep. right? So uh, I guess what I would say is, you know, you could simply count heads, right? And frankly, I don't know what the net is. Our social circle grew a lot after uh, Evergreen. That's not necessarily what's taken place uh, in modern times. But the point is, if you do so waiting for quality, mm-hmm. then what you find is that actually you discover incredibly... Um, interesting, dynamic people who are excellent at, at careful thought, right? Mm-hmm. And so anyway, there is this kind of upgrade phenomenon that is not famous. People do not know that, you know, that this is part of the equation. And so... There is a question. I mean, we do hear from people, and I, mean, I think this is justified, uh, you know, okay, but, but you guys, us, we're, we're findable. And indeed, so many people reach out to us that we don't, we, we aren't able to respond to most people who do. And so I'm sure, you know, we miss lots of people who are amazing, who reach out to us, who we just never follow through with because, because we don't there have too the, many. Yeah. Um, we, we don't have the, the time for it. Um, we don't have that, you know, time is finite. Um, but for those, for those of you who don't have a way, like how, how do people find one another? And I guess that's, you know, what we are trying to say is being courageous is not inherently going to bring you a life in which rats are running over your toes in your sleep. Um, but how is it that people find the community of other people like them who are, uh, who are not seeing the world the way they're being told to see it? Well, I think what, what my impression after Evergreen was I wish, you know, if there were to be, you know, a minute of supernatural stuff, right, and you could pick what the supernatural thing was, the ability to know who actually had the characteristics that would um, render them strong in adverse circumstances and who seemed like they might be that person but was destined to disappoint, this is the most important piece of information you could have, right? Mm -hmm. You do not want to discover once you're in the foxhole that the person who talked a good game actually has no courage and will sell you out, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want that. You want to know ahead of time who really has the depth of character so that what you encounter on the surface is actually indicative of what's below, and you don't know that until a severe challenge. And so, um, in essence, there is no substitute for the high-pressure test of the system. So. Yeah. I, I guess my point is I believe that anybody who stands up will discover this. They will find out that many around them who they think are, you know, and who are uh, more than decent under normal circumstances will fail the test under uh, dire circumstances. Well, so two things. I, I hope I remember both of them here. Um, we have found, you know, when we are anonymous in the world as, as we're moving about, and increasingly that's not necessarily the case. And frankly, I... I um, I mourn 
the loss of anonymity because uh, for me as an animal behaviorist, a lot of what I learn about people is by going out into the world and not just observing, but interacting with them as just, you know, a human being who doesn't already have stated opinions in the world. Um, and, you know, I do, we, we get recognized and approached and it's, it's lovely. We've yet to be approached by anyone for, with whom it wasn't lovely, but I always feel a sort of sense of like, oh, I, you know, that means that I can't do, that I can't be learning in the way that I would be learning from here because I don't know to what degree this is, um, this is a show, right? Um, but when we have, both you and I do this in somewhat different ways and largely in overlapping but somewhat non-overlapping like retail venues, ask people, just show any little indicator of not being totally on board with whatever the dominant paradigm is right now. And this, you know, last in summer of 2020 here in Portland, it was largely about the responses to uh, the protesters that became rioters every night. And it was about the, you know, shutting down police. And it was, uh, it was about Black Lives Matter. And increasingly, it's about, um, you know, lockdowns and outdoor masks and, and vaccine mandates. And it is amazing how many people seem not only willing, but eager to take the smallest hint that maybe you were not an automaton, that maybe you haven't swallowed the dominant thing, hook, line, and sinker, and will then just talk. We'll talk, you know, and sometimes a little bit, but sometimes it seems like they go on for hours about what it is they're actually seeing and what they think it means and how, how bad the public policy and the uniform public response seems to be. Yeah, actually, um, I... I'm sure, I'm sure that this has been understood uh, by those who have analyzed authoritarianism. Yeah. But one of the hallmarks has to be when you, you know, coerce a population into compliance, the pressure on individuals is immense. And the desire for those individuals to find somebody that they can actually be safe in talking about what they don't like about it. In other words, there's a danger in confessing, yeah, actually, I'm not on board with this, mm -hmm. right? Even if I'm complying, it's not because I think this is a good idea. Right. Um, but people cannot, people will not in general be public about this because the hazard of saying right. the wrong thing to the wrong person is too great. Um, so if you, you know, put out a little bit of a bat signal, Yes, I do have a cat who's crawled into my lap here. If you put out a little bit of a bat signal, right? And I mean, in fact, this is this is where we are, I would say, on masks, right? Mm -hmm. The mask thing has clearly become about compliance. And I will say for the thousandth time, we were extremely early on the idea of masks. And um, the failure of the evidence to... It seemed obvious. It seemed... We were compelled... That it seemed obvious, right. and that the U.S. Surgeon General and the WHO, would, you know, Fauci and everyone else was like, "Don't wear masks; that would be foolish." And then they came out with like, "No, actually, that was to preserve the PPE for the healthcare workers." Th that that seemed obvious to us, and I think I think we were wrong. Right, I think we I think we were wrong. I think there is a, a small amount of good. It's not enough to justify mandates. It requires. A, certain kinds of masks. B, it requires that they be worn in very particular ways. And the point is, it's just not justified. But it's been a marvelous policy from the point of view of discovering who will... Will they agree to this? Right, who yeah. will go along with uh, with mandates that make no sense. And it's been just, you know, really picture perfect with respect to taking the message, be frightened, 
and transporting it everywhere. It rides around with every citizen who has to put on a mask or walk mm -hmm. around with it. We get these reminders constantly, you know, there's a pandemic. These people are a danger to you, mm -hmm. right? And now the thing is... The unmasked, the unvaccinated, the uns are dirty and dangerous. Yeah. And perhaps evil. Right. Now, you and I... Um, are compliant mask-wise. We don't fail we, to put them on. We live in a state and a, a city, a state, and a coast um, that is largely masked. Right. So we put them on. We are not flaunting inside inside retail establishments, except when we're eating. Well, no, no, no. Hold on. We are compliant with the requirement to wear a mask. The harm, while there, mm -hmm. is small enough that we are not going to uh, uh, ignore the rule. Mm -hmm. However. There is no rule that says you have to play along with the idea that this makes sense, right? And mm -hmm. so when one sits down at the table and takes off their mask in a restaurant as if they're, you know, as if this is like smoke that if you get below it, you can, uh, you can breathe again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one is perfectly free to evidence, yes, I'm complying, but I think this is nonsense. Um, well, I think it's actually, it's in, oh, sorry. Um, it, it's, I was in a booth in a restaurant in Austin, actually, with... Uh, with a friend, and he said, "Wow, this is like the one square mile in all of Texas where masks are required." And you know, he actually had not come with one, and I was able. I was like, "Oh God, you know, I have so many here. <laughs> Take one of mine." Um, and we sat down, and because we we're in a booth, he said, "Oh, it's it's not about the smoke. It's actually there's the invisible force field that comes across the booth, and as long as everyone else stays outside of our force field, we have no chance of spreading." The thing that we don't have, right? The thing that you don't have, yeah. right? And you know, you, you the, the the paradoxes are so many. You know, when you have, you know, the the waiter comes over wearing a mask, mm. right? And you're sitting there not masked. And actually, my sense is, to the extent that this does any good at all, we're more or less morally obligated to put them on at that moment to protect this person, right? It is only because I don't think that this is a very effective remedy that I don't think that this is a glaring error because it's, you know, right. I mean, that, and that's what I was doing until I started to see all of this, um, all of this work suggesting that they're not actually particularly effective. Yeah. But anyway, yes. Um, a little bat signal that suggests, uh, I don't think this policy is all that well thought out is mm -hmm. liable to put you in contact with others who have those doubts and are likely feeling very isolated about them themselves yeah and <clears throat> really there's a there's a smugness that some people are willing and eager to to convey uh and then it's not there's everyone else but it, that is one of the ways that is one of the dichotomies that i am seeing now there's the smug who largely you know, are actually functionally enumerate, I think. And um, and get your nose out of my water. Um, she is not talking to me. For those of you listening to the podcast, she's talking to the cat. Yeah. Um, and, you know, who say things like follow the science, but don't actually, you know, wouldn't recognize a hypothesis if it smacked them in the nose. And then there's sort of everyone else. And yes, there are degrees to which um, the everyone else have conclusions that they're certain of or not certain of or have investigated them as much as possible from first principles. But there is a degree of uncertainty. The, you know, the smug are inherently certain. And if you're certain right now that the thing that got handed you by the CDC or MSNBC or anyone is simply true, 
on account of it got handed to you, then you're not doing your thinking for yourself. And frankly, your smugness is it should evaporate right away because it's based on, on nothing good. Yes. And so I, I think we're heading towards the ultimate point here, which is um, many people are living under different multiple layers of fear. One of those fears yeah. is about what happens if you acknowledge your doubts. And indeed, you are being encouraged to believe that what happens if you acknowledge your doubts is going to be dire. And we're not going to tell you that there are not serious consequences. There are, and we've experienced them. Yeah. However, there is another side to the puzzle, which is how you will feel when your doubts are no longer a secret that you are afraid is going to be discovered. And that's what the quote from from Catch-22 reveals. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. So this is from, this is from the middle of the book. Uh, I forgot the chapter. It's, it's not Milo the mayor. It's Nately's old man. Not reading the whole chapter, just about a page here. So this is, um, this is a young, this is a you want me to set it up? 19. Yeah, go for it. Uh, you went set up the whole book. Oh, sure. No, okay. no, I thought, I thought that's what you were about to do. Um, no, I was just going to set up the scene. Okay, so the scene involves uh, one of these young pilots. Pilots had a very, very dangerous role uh, in, in World War II. Um, a lot of them did not come back. Most of them did not come back. So it was a very terrifying thing. And this exchange takes place... Um, hold on. So it's, it's a piece of fiction, but Heller himself, was, a, was he a bombardier? Uh, he was, he was, I think he, he was, was in an planes, airman. but I don't yeah. remember. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in any case, <clears throat> the exchange takes place. Uh, obviously if you're a pilot, you're, you're, unless you're based on an aircraft carrier, you're based on land, but this is the equivalent of shore leave where they've gone into, into Italy and they're at the whorehouse and the old man is the proprietor of the whorehouse. And I believe he's talking to Nately. Is that right? Nately, yep. And Nately is a, a young gun, a 20 ish year yep. old. Uh, guy who is basically pontificating on his understanding of how the world works and this uh, extremely old uh, man, the proprietor of a whorehouse who knows a whole lot about how the world actually works, um, responds and says all kinds of interesting, sometimes hilarious things. And anyway, this, this exchange takes place. Yeah. I mean, it goes on for a long time. I'm just going to read the short little bit here. Um, <clears throat> the old man says about someone who... Um, had risked his life. You see, imagine a man his age risking what little life he has left for something so absurd as a country. Nately was instantly up in arms again. There is nothing so absurd about risking your life for your country, he declared. Isn't there? asked the old man. What is a country? A country is a piece of land surrounded on all sides by boundaries, usually unnatural. Englishmen are dying for England. Americans are dying for America. Germans are dying for Germany. Russians are dying for Russia. There are now 50 or 60 countries fighting in this war. Surely so many countries can't all be worth dying for. Anything worth living for, said Nately, is worth dying for. And anything worth dying for, answered the sacrilegious old man, is certainly worth living for. You know, you're such a pure and naive young man that I almost feel sorry for you. How old are you, 25, 26? 19, said Nately. I'll be 20 in January. If you live, the old man shook his head, wearing for a moment the same touchy, meditating frown of the fretful and disapproving old woman. They're going to kill you if you don't watch out, and I can see now that you are not going to watch out. Why don't you use some sense and try to be more like me? You might live to be 107, too. Because it's better to die on one's feet than to live on one's knee, Nately retorted with triumphant and lofty conviction. I guess you've heard that saying before. Yes, I certainly have, mused the treacherous old man, smiling again. But I'm afraid that you have it backwards. It is better to live on one's feet 
than die on one's knees. That is the way the saying goes. It yeah. is better to live on one's feet than die on one's knees. That uh, that line has given me chills for, I don't know, three decades, mm-hmm. three and a half decades since I first read it. There's something about it, the idea that we have this thing encoded in our minds about, you know, it's uh, better to die on one's feet than live on one's knees, and that, in fact, we don't even notice this other possibility, right? It's ruled out by the way that the initial thing is phrased. And the point is... Um, well, I guess it's another version of Plato's cave in some mm-hmm. sense, right? The idea that there's this other reality that you can't quite see, but if you knew what it was, you would value things very, very differently. Well, and it raises questions of whether or not where you are at the moment, like, are, are you on your feet or are you on your knees? Like that, that is the sort of Plato's cave. What world is it? What looking glass have you or have you not gone through? You know, what, what is your situation right now? How free are you? Yeah. How free, how free are you? And, you know, it's funny, I, I have never thought of it this way before. I've, I've long loved Catch-22. There's so much in it. You know, it's so brilliantly done where, you know, the wordplay is wonderful and the comedy is utterly hilarious and plenty dark and all of that. But, mm-hmm. um, but I've never thought of it as a dystopian novel before, mm. but I'm beginning to wonder, you know, I'm, I'm hearing discussions about um, about dystopia and about what we are facing, and I think everybody who gets it realizes it's not Orwellian, it's not Kafka, right? It's it's not Huxley. It's pieces of these things. It's a hybrid between these things, but the hybridization goes beyond those classics, right? It definitely extends to Brazil, right? There's an element about this that is. The movie yeah. that is that is Brazil. That's the that, yeah Brazil mm-hmm. the movie, but also Catch Twenty Two, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the point is how many of these great um, uh, texts or whatever they are does one need to have a piece that covers all of the things that we're uh, encountering? And then you know if you know I, I do long for a circumstance in which we have all had enough shared grounding that we can have the conversation, right? That you can say Kafka trap and it doesn't, you know, leave a third of the audience wondering what the heck you're talking about. Well, that of course is some of what, um, you know, stereotypically conservatives bemoan about the loss of uh, a classic great books curriculum, for instance, right? That there was, that there was a shared cultural set of knowledge um, that you could know if you were interacting with people from the same rough sort of cultural class, uh, they they would know. And frankly, uh, this is this was also true about uh, what like from our childhood, it's like must see TV, right? You know, Thursday night on NBC, uh, everyone watched the same stuff, such that if you had the kind of job that had a water cooler, the next day you all had seen you know, the Huxtables on the Cosby show the night before. And you all could talk about these, you know, fictional people um, who were, who were imagined to be living lives, but you know, they, they were as if friends. So, you know, your work, your workplace brought together all these people who live separate lives, but they had this shared thing that was, that was brought into their, in their homes every, every Thursday. And of course, you know, both the loss of both, um, classic traditional curricula and of uh, 
television or other media that actually comes in at a particular moment as opposed to when it is that you have the time, uh, you know, both of which have reason. The changes, the reasons for the changes are not entirely bad, right? And the changes themselves are, of course, not entirely bad, but there are trade-offs. And we have, we, there is very little now that synchronizes us. Well, um, Ex- except for this forced consensus that we are told we are all synchronized. We all know that, you know, the uns are dirty, right? When we are synchronized by something that is that is the opposite of education, mm-hmm. right? It is it is miseducation or something like it. I have to say that when, whenever you say curricula, I think of an academic vampire. I just can't help curricula. it. Curricula, yeah, um, female presumably. No, but no. that's better. Oh, I guess Dracula is not yeah, female. No, yeah. Yeah. maybe he is now, but. Um, <laughs> Perhaps. Yes, perhaps. perhaps. Um, Who's to say? Dracula. Only I guess. Dracula. Yes. yes. Um, lived experience being primal. Prime, not, not primal. Uh, pri- it's mm. unlived experiences. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, All right. Good. Uh, but it's too late for Halloween. But, yes. You know, we're, we're there right in time for Thanksgiving. Halloween is the coming. unlived experience. Yes. Um, <laughs> All right. So the point I wanted to make, I, I have, I have also made this this point about. Um, you know the uh, the shared the shared um, God doesn't play dice, but Fairfax yeah, does. He sure does. Um, he's now about to eat a rubber band that could end badly. Um, what has gotten into all of us this week, really? So I think the problem is the conservatives don't have it right. Right, the right. great books curriculum is not the is not the curriculum for modern times. Neither is the. Um, uh, the liberal arts uh, grab bag, right? And the point is, so I don't, I don't know what you mean by the liberal liberal arts grab bag. I mean, as I've said a number of times, I think liberal arts is the central concept of liberal arts, which is basically a an education that is not about training you, uh, is correct. Mm-hmm. But that liberal arts itself it's about learning how to think. And um, yeah. helping reveal to you what you can and cannot do, and uh, it is about upgrading the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem with it is that upgrading the mind, you know, gets into a question of okay, what is what do we regard as an upgrade, right? right? And the point is, I would say any uh, education that does not give you basic competence in scientific thinking and math is as a failure, right? Mm-hmm. If a liberal arts education can include an education that doesn't have that, then it's a failed concept to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the, the point is what we need is some sort of great book, some hybrid between a liberal arts style thinking, which is too flexible because it doesn't give us a shared set of uh, concepts that allows us all to interact with the same baseline, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> uh, and then the great books thing, the problem with that one is that it is too grounded at the moment that you declare these books great. And the point is the amount of the amount that we know about the universe is changing. And so what are the chances that that group of books that one most ought to prioritize is static? What, what it really is, is it has to be a dynamic frame that still prioritizes the sharedness. And, you know, your point about um, must-see TV, um, I, I agree. And the point is, must-see TV, I don't think it was, except it wasn't on, important. It wasn't good, but, but much more important than good is 
shared in some yeah. sense. And I've said yeah. this about books themselves, that it in some sense, the, 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 the important thing is that people have, have been run through the same experience so that they have a basis for interacting over it rather than everybody having an a la carte experience, which can be a higher quality experience because it's tailored to you, but it means that, you know, the us part doesn't work as well. So yeah, um, there is something to having at least, you know, you know, I've made the point that, uh, Musically, the era of LPs and a small number of radio stations which dispensed music into your car in your house was not, that wasn't a natural moment, mm -hmm. right? It seems more natural than our current moment, but no, it's just the moment we were born into. And the point was, though, that, you know, there's nothing natural about having every radio station playing Stairway to Heaven during a particular month because it's the latest craze. Mm -hmm. But it did give, you know, it meant that if you met somebody from a different high school, they were also having a piece of the same experience. It also allows you to place your memories in time later, right? Um, like, you know, we Stairway to Heaven was big when we were tiny kids. So, yep. you know, we weren't, we weren't around for that moment. But... Um, you, you there in in the eighties when we were in high school, um, there there was a soundtrack to that era uh, that frankly a lot of retail stores are now playing. <laughs> you know, like we are the target audience for a lot of a lot of retail stores, and it pulls you right back, right? It pulls you right back, and that is to some degree true now. Of course, like there's music coming out right now that will only ever have come out in 2021 because that's just what history and the, you know, the truth of time and reality is. Um, but there's so much of it and it's so sort of desynchronized uh, that there won't be, there can't be a like, oh, you know, remember, remember the month that all the radio stations were suddenly playing X and also, you know, the earthquake happened in Y and that happens to be the month that I broke up with my first boyfriend or, oh, really? Because that was the month that I first tried sushi, I, you know, whatever it is. Like you, you can come together over like, okay, there are these universals and they're not just an earthquake in Y. They're also things that actually tug at the deepest emotional truths, which is often music. Yeah. Right. And so we, we can synchronize with those things, even with people who we didn't know at the time, because they were experiencing the same thing, the same emotional thing, the same musical thing at the time. And that that is one of the desynchronizations and therefore I think the decoherences of modernity. Yes. With, with, with globalization of media and social media um, surpassing most, um, most other kinds. Well, we are seeing two things at once. We are seeing the market deliver because markets feed individuals, because it is individuals usually who do the, the spending, mm -hmm. right? It is feeding us something that tickles our particular fancy, which is separating us. It's, it's decohering us. At yeah. the same time, it's dispensing mind-numbing narratives where there is nothing but questions to be asked there's no question asked and the a narrative is dispensed as if it was obviously true and anybody who departs from this has lost their freaking mind right so it's the worst of both worlds yes. right yes, we don't we don't so. know each other well and yet we all believe the same bullshit yeah we're so we you walk around um you walk around among strangers at the moment as we still have the opportunity to do because we live in a city and uh, and when something crazy happens near you, what should have been able to happen and what has been true in the past is you can make eye contact with strangers and be like, 
just check in whether or not there are words exchanged. Like you're seeing that yeah. we both are seeing the crazy thing that's happening. We know so little about one another now, and we trust each other so little that it frankly makes the crazy stuff. Uh, it facilitates the crazy stuff because there's no checking in even between strangers. And you know, in some in some cases, even the attempt to make you know friendly eye contact is taken as an an affront. And I will say, I want I'm going to end today by talking a little bit about. Just my experience walking around in the sun this morning, and it it I realized two thirds of the way into my walk why it felt so different. Like a, it was sunny blue skies in November in the Pacific Northwest, which is pretty rare. Um, but everyone was smiling. Mm-hmm. Everyone I saw smiled at me, and I like I tend to smile at people when I when I see them out there. And from long, long experience actually in um, developing world countries, that my my experience is that especially if my language isn't quite up to it, that this is just sort of an openness. Like, hey, I'm you know I'm I'm yep. going to try here, but I don't you know, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to communicate what I need to communicate. So I tried to not smile first at people, which is which is hard for me in that sort of situation today. And everyone was smiling. It wasn't, I wasn't prompting it. No one was wearing a mask. We were outside. No one was wearing a mask. Everyone was just out there in the sun. It wasn't warm, but you know, on a sunny, beautiful day by the river, happy to be out there. Yeah. And how unusual and how sad that that is unusual now. Unusual. And there are all of these, you know, you've known me as long as anyone and almost, you know, almost, um, you know, that, I have freely interacted with anybody who would interact back since yeah. I was a kid. You yeah. know, I was a little shy as a kid, but um, as I was interacting with anybody, I would interact with just about anybody. And you know, the degree to which cool, interesting conversations uh, sprung up out of nowhere was was amazing. It's something I learned from my grandfather, mm. who behaved the same way, and. Uh, that has been lost in large measure because there's this question, you know, as we've talked about on the podcast before, if I'm interacting with a woman, there's an immediate question as to whether I'm a creep. Right. If I'm interacting with somebody of a different race, there's an immediate question about, you know, am I one of these, uh, you know, largely imagined uh, racists, right? Am I serving my own interest, trying to feel better about my privilege by talking to somebody of a different race? And my basic feeling is I'm actually pretty good at just ignoring these details. It's not that I don't see them, but I don't care. That's true. Mm -hmm. And not caring is now a problem because there's a question about, do you really care? Are you lying to yourself, right? Right. And we used to be able to... um to overcome such hurdles with honesty and with integrity and with an, with an assumption that the person on the other side wasn't trying to be an asshole. Right. And there are some people who are trying to be assholes sometimes and a few who are trying to be assholes all the time, but in general, they're not. I'm reminded, I'm not even sure I've, I've, I've told you this, but I'm reminded of an experience that I had. Um, we knew each other already, but um, we were still in high school. And um, I, I was in a, a photo shoot at the beach and I was made up, and which is not my usual thing at all. And so it was just like the cameraman and maybe a lights person and me and L.A. Beach in the, in the late 80s. And this homeless person, there were, there were a lot of homeless people in Santa Monica then, but not, not nearly as many as now. And it, you know they were all more of a type than the very varied homeless people we see now. And I hadn't really ever interacted with any. 
And this guy comes up and he's, you know, probably twice my age, but not old. You know, he's probably late thirties. Um, and, um, he had, he was scraggly, you know, he didn't certainly didn't seem dangerous. And I was there with these two guys who were doing the, the camera and light work anyway. And, um, he was just watching and they were like, you know, do you want to out here? I'm like, whatever. Um, and they said, we were going to move. And he said to me, I've never met anyone like you before. And I said, totally honestly, not forgetting that I had, you know, a face on, right? I've never met anyone like you before either. (laughs) (laughs) And like all three of these guys were like, what? (laughs) Like, no, I'm, I'm serious. Like, like, where did you, like, how did you land here? Like, and, and we ended up having a conversation, but really he couldn't, he couldn't fathom, you know, he had this sort of like, oh, I'm in Hollywood and this is some, you know, glamour person. I'm like, no, I'm just like a kid who happens to don't look like look like this, whatever, but I'd like to talk to you. And he couldn't at first he thought I was mocking him. And I wasn't. Of course I wasn't. I mean, you know right, me. Of right. course I wasn't. Of Some other people might have been. Yeah. And we ended up getting to talk, which struck me as, oh, I don't think this guy would have approached me if I just been randomly walking down the street, because people randomly walking down the street don't want to have homeless people come up to them. But because we were sort of pinned down doing this weird, stupid Hollywood thing um, with a photo shoot, he he was allowed in and I further opened the door and said, well, let's talk. And that was fine and it was good. And mostly, mostly that's not possible. Mostly people don't let that be possible and it's certainly less possible now. Yeah, it used to be that within a few, I mean, and I, I still have experiences like this, but it used to be that, you know, a few words made it very clear that right. you were just a stranger looking to connect in some way. Yeah. Right. And uh, it's amazing how, how much harder that's become. Yeah. Yeah, it really, it really is. Um, so... The segue, ah, the segue to the next thing was acquiescence um, to the the norm, to the the conversation that sounds like what everyone else is having. Actually, looks really dreary. It's not interesting. That's the thing that's not interesting. It 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 you you end up living on your knees in a grayscape. And you had an experience this week at the Multnomah Multnomah County Sheriff's Office. Can yeah, I have that right. You have that correct. Yeah. I went to the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office. Was not expecting anything extraordinary. And uh, Zach, do you want to put up those pictures? Any of the outside ones? Huh? There's the inside one. Here's the outside. So the Multnomah County <clears throat> Sheriff's Office. Multnomah County is the county that Portland is in, and the Sheriff's Office is essentially completely boarded up in fact when so this I, is a live office this is this is their central office well as you, i pulled yeah. up my sense was i must be in the wrong place this is obviously not an active building right right doesn't look like it doesn't look like an active building and you know the only thing that suggested otherwise was that the parking lot was full of cars so for people who are just listening you've got a i don't know it almost looks like it could be an elementary school or something yeah like sort of a, a flat not very interesting architected building, but not a piece of glass visible on the outside. It's all got plywood on the windows. Well, I think partly it's the plywood on the windows that makes it look like that. The entrance is actually sort of grand Mm. and there's a big atrium on the inside, Okay, but it looks like a defunct building, right? It looks like a building that's been condemned 
and is going to be torn down. And so anyway, I parked in the parking lot. There was a sheriff uh, talking to another sheriff through the window of a car. Mm -hmm. And I said, how do you get into the building? And they're like, oh, it's just around the front, which seemed odd because there was nothing about this building that looked like anybody could walk through a door in the front. It looked closed. Yeah. So I walked through the door in the front. Maybe that first, uh, excuse me, that first picture again. Yeah, you want to go back to that first picture? It's completely dark in there because the design of the building is they have these large banks of windows on three so of the like four walls. So you've got like clear story windows and then also an entire bank um, that we're looking at in front of us here. That's yeah. windows as well? Yeah. So the, the atrium here is 20 feet tall with a mm. huge uh, number of windows on three sides that are supposed to be bathing it in light during the day. And you mm. walk in and it's completely dark because there's no alternative plan for the light. Um, you know, and it's just a boarded up building. And even more shocking, the glass has been broken out and it's just been left jagged up in these high former window panes, right? This is the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office. This is the Multnomah County. This is presumably from the unrest, in quotes, that happened more than a year ago in the summer of 2020. Yeah, I did some looking. I wanted to make sure there wasn't some event that I didn't know about. Right. I mean, you know, what could it be other than the unrest? But anyway, what all I could find was that April of 2020 was when this building was attacked. No. Why would it have been attacked in April 2020? That doesn't make any sense. Sorry. Hold on. Uh, Okay. Uh, so you were there this week, and I mean, I think not, nothing was happening rioting or protest-wise in the streets of Portland until after George Floyd's death, which was yeah. I'm sorry, that isn't the right date. Let me see if I can, while we're talking, come up with the news report. But in any case, the, the point was, um, I'm not going to be able to do it. The point was. Somehow, this building was damaged by rioters who, of course, Mm -hmm. have attacked the police in Portland uh, in the same way that police have been attacked all over the country um, more vigorously. but More consistently, right? You know, uninterrupted months of it in the summer into the fall of 2020. Right. Um, And uh, the building has been left this way. In a sense, it's impossible for me to really even imagine that any active workplace could be left in this condition. Even just the psychological impact of having had people hostile to you engaged in this kind of violent, destructive behavior, damage your building, and then you're expected to go in there and see the reminder uh, that these people... And work in darkness. Work in darkness, right? It's an inhumane condition, and it's... um, And it's a kind of acquiescence. Like what? Well, it's clear acquiescence. In fact, what must have happened here is that there was a decision not to fix this. Yeah. Right. I guess I, I very much want to know that there hasn't been that there wasn't something recent that happened. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, if if not, we're talking about months, maybe even more than a year of um, of a of a workplace. Um, you know, people who are who are working civic jobs should be able to work in a place um, that feels humane. And this is, this is absurd. Yeah, it's absurd. It's inhumane. And it, you know, uh, we are now seeing uh, a conspicuous lack of law enforcement. And I have yeah. to say, as much as 
Uh, on the one hand, I know that that ends in disaster, and I feel like, hey, look, the police are obligated to be enforcing the law because a lot of us are depending on the law being enforced. Rule of law is the key concept here that uh, prevents terrible people from uh, ruining our way of life. Yeah. I also do have some sympathy where the police watched the country turn on them, and even yeah, though most people sure. didn't believe it, the fact is because people were intimidated and didn't speak up, uh, it effectively, you know, the, the police were left with this vile stigma being leveled at them. All cops are bastards, mm -hmm. right? All over Portland, there were uh, suggestions that cops were deserving of being killed. Mm -hmm. there, were, there was an incident we talked about on Dark Horse uh, at the time where a severed pig's head was lit on fire in front of the courthouse. And anyway, to find that the damage uh, to a sheriff's building has just simply been left there as if the decision-making entity, presumably the sheriff didn't decide to leave the building this way, although I'd be curious what the decision-making process was, but that somebody ha has decided that the protesters had a good enough point that, uh, that this should be left, that their statement of destruction should be left as it was and unrepaired is mind blowing to me. Yeah, it is. Uh, you, the next thing you want to talk about was this, um, uh, show an excerpt from the, the video done by the mats. Yeah. Um, so many people will have seen this now. Matt Taibbi put out a piece that he teamed up with, and I apologize to the second Matt in this case, whose name I'm going to, I at one point knew, but I think it's uh, Matt Orphalia. Do I have it right? I would have said Orphalia, but um, either way, we got we got the spelling here. Orphalia but. has a certain ring to it. Maybe it's Matt Orphalia. And if it's not Matt Orphalia, Matt, maybe you should consider that pronunciation. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> said the two people on set whose who's people's names, names never, never get right. Never okay. corrected, never yeah. said correctly. Um, but anyway, Zach, do you want to show just a couple of 30 seconds of an excerpt from the video? Uh, that Matt Taibbi includes. The video is done by Matt Orfalia. The teenager drove from his home in Illinois. Approximately one mile to Wisconsin. Across state lines, driving across state borders. He's driving across state lines. Across the state lines, across state lines. Across state lines, across state lines. If you look at the Rittenhouse case, he crossed state lines. Drives up to, to, to events. Across state lines. Came across state lines. Kyle Rittenhouse, who traveled across state lines. From out of state, out of his own state. Came across state borders. Whenever you have a situation where a 17-year-old is crossing state. So the, um, I had a lot of reactions when you showed me this last night. Um, and one of them was crossing straight lines. <laughs> crossing state lines is like horse dewormer. Yeah. So there's obviously a narrative. However, this happened. But, you know, putting entirely aside what you think about either either Rittenhouse or, or Ivermectin yep. right um but the the use of a thing a phrase that can instill fear or mockery in the case of cross state lines oof people i hear who cross state lines it's usually with you know, abducted children that's not good or horse dewormer oh these idiots right, right. <laughs> right. yeah mm. i think the point is it takes a I wish there weren't two Matts in the story because I would just call him Matt. But uh, <laughs> Matt Orphalia. Orphalia. 
Matt Orfalia's <laughs> compilation oh here. We're just making it worse. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> demonstrates that there was an unnatural, uh, an unnatural, um, what's the term? Uh, consensus? Yeah, well, that's not a consensus. It's an, it's an unnatural convergence on a particular mm. way of describing these events that leave a very particular impression. Well, but convergence actually takes some of the onus off. Like, you know, almost certainly there were talking points delivered. Well, of course, I, I think this is likely. Yeah. How they ended up in all of these mouths, I don't know. It could be a matter of contagion, where there is a style of thought that now has whatever the particular political uh, apparatus, whatever it thinks gets dispensed and spreads as people repeat each other's... Um, uh, phraseology, or it could be that there's something more nefarious and directed. But the basic point is, look, you had an event. It was actually a complex event, right? You had a kid who obviously did something stupid in a country where uh, we have a particular relationship with firearms. But the point is the portrayal of the story of uh, Rittenhouse having traveled across state lines, traveled across state lines, leaves the impression that he made a long trip, right, which suggests something about what he was up to. It's actually inconsistent with what actually happened here, whatever you think of it. Um, and so the point is to have screen after screen barking the same thing. Well, what was the average person's experience of this? The average person's experience of this is it didn't matter what screens they encountered, the screen would say this phrase. But until you knew that every other screen was saying it and it was unnatural, then you wouldn't necessarily think you had a misimpression of the story. Mm -hmm. And so your point about horse dewormer, standing where we were standing, suddenly every speaker on earth erupted in horse dewormer at the same moment. Every screen portrayed horses, dewormer, pace. The, the story, it unfolded in the it most... It was nearly sudden. It was like the week of horse dewormer, right? And <laughs> yeah. suddenly this mm -hmm. was on everybody's mind. It was, you know, uh, it was about feed stores. It was that damn FDA picture of the vet stroking the horse's nose or whatever, <laughs> right? It was it was the uh, the hospital in Oklahoma. Oh, the, the hospital. You know, <laughs> right. People, car crash gunshot, victims. Who, gunshot victims yeah. who during the summer, gunshot victims were standing in parkas outside the hospital, unable to get in because of all of the overdoses. And right. And so the point was, that was a very unnatural story, too, oh, that didn't stand goodness. up at all to scrutiny. It also just, again, revealed what the, you know, the, the, the playmakers in the media are among the class that would call themselves the coastal elites. And like, actually really view the so-called flyover states with such with such disdain and you know we've seen this professors with students as well with such disdain that it didn't even occur to them that in the summer in Oklahoma they might not be wearing parkas like they have that little model of what is going on well i, I don't i don't even think that's it i think the way this works it triggers a verificationist circuit right and the point is yeah, once but, but basic fact check uh, but this is my point. Mm -hmm. If you are in like actual fact if you are in a if you are in a yeah. verificationist mindset, yeah. right, then your brain doesn't see the parka in August, right? Because it doesn't fit. It's looking only for confirmatory 
evidence. And so the point is, if you were looking for evidence that all of those people who keep showing up with uh, this inconvenient counter-narrative are actually just dummies, right? Then the point is, it doesn't really matter that the stuff that glues the story together doesn't add up. What you're looking just, for... Just like with the crossing state lines. Right, exactly. Oh, it was a mile away. His, a lot of his family lived there, and he worked there. And and the gun why? was the gun was there already. He didn't take and, a gun and drive across state lines, right? He drove across town, and I mean the other thing is, you know, you, okay, you were at the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office this week. Um, happens we live in Multnomah County, but there's two other counties right here. Parts of Portland are in it. And, you know, did you did you drive across county lines this week, Brett? I bet you did. <laughs> you know, like, you know, since when are th- is this line the one that matters? You know, did you cross the street? You know, right. The, you know, the, the, which boundaries are we going to get concerned about in order to instill fear in people and to continue to continue to drum up a freaking race war so, when actually what we should all agree on is that that is not what we want? Why do some people appear to want the division? So, so th- this is this is the point. You've got. A story that doesn't hang together, but if you're only paying attention to it, you know, out of the corner of your eye, you, it sort of like, okay, I get it. Right wing kid drove a long way with a high powered weapon. Those people looking for trouble, Mm -hmm. right? So you just sort of put it together that way. But what I don't understand, and the thing that drives me crazy, is at the point you discover that there is a, well-resourced campaign to convince you of something. Mm. Why do you not become immediately skeptical of everything said by those same people, right? At the point you discover that, you know, oh yeah, there was this week where I started to think it was clever to invoke horse dewormer to dismiss a whole bunch of people. Mm -hmm. The idea that actually that wasn't really my idea, right? Mm. That was CNN's idea and NBC's idea. And it was the Washington Post. And it was, you know, all of these outlets simultaneously making this clever, you know, and and in fact, the the great example of this is the Dean scream, Mm. right? Um, uh, From Howard Dean's renegade presidential campaign. 96, maybe when, you know, when Clinton was running the second time. Yeah, I think. Uh, Eric has talked about this mm-hmm. as well, but the point was there was one evening Dean came out of nowhere and Howard he was Dean. The, Howard Dean, whose slogan or catchphrase was he was from the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. right? Which was hilarious because mm-hmm. the F- Democratic Party wasn't yet as bad as it is now. But the mm-hmm. point is it was being taken over by this other thing. And the idea that there yeah. were still people within the Democratic Party who were yeah. fundamentally about democracy. His point being, Bill was not from the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party. Right. And yeah. so the thing that happened was uh, he, I think he had lost a primary and he was trying uh, to, he was trying to, he was saying, look, this isn't over. We're going to go to, hmm, and then we're going to go to, hmm. <laughs> and he had a hoarse voice from campaigning or something. And he, yeah, his woo. voice broke as he was doing something. Mm-hmm. And if you'd been standing there, you would have thought, I didn't actually see an event, but it got <laughs> That's recorded. The thing. I didn't actually see an event. Right? Can we create an event where an event didn't even happen? Right. Yes, so we can. the point is, they broadcast this thing incessantly, as if it was like some embarrassing 
gaff. I mean, there was literally nothing to it. Yeah. And then the late night comedians were like relentless joking about Howard Dean. And it was like, that's the end of his presidential campaign. The Dean scream. The Dean scream. So Mm -hmm. anyway, at the point you discover that you've been Dean screamed, right? (laughs) At the point you discover that that joke that you thought was clever was actually not your idea, that you were doing the bidding of something that wanted everyone to think this was a clever joke during a particular week in August or whenever it was, mm-hmm. um, you should say, hey, okay, I don't know what's going on here. It's interesting that there appears to be a campaign to convince me that um, ivermectin, ivermectin doesn't work and it's only for dummies, right? Mm-hmm. And horses. <laughs> it's You're not smart horses, horses and dumb dummies, people. are you? No, absolutely not. Wouldn't want to do that. Um, but the point is, at the point you discover there's a campaign to convince me of something, then you ought to look. I mean, it's like if somebody lied to you, right? If somebody lied to you on a bunch of fronts, right? If somebody sold you, you know, I don't know, a piece of property, a car, something, and it, they told you like a bunch of things that turned out not to be true. And then you ran into them again and they started telling you more things, you would be naturally skeptical. You should be. Um, so anyway. That's I, how skepticism I, is supposed to work. That is how skepticism is supposed to work. It is interesting, though, that people's skepticism is not triggered by um, the discovery that they themselves have been broadcasting a story that was created for them that does not match the facts that they now know. And the interesting thing about this trial is that it revealed these facts, yes. even if many people refuse to accept it. And they they speak as if the verdict is clear, a clear evidence of white supremacy, which of course makes no sense. No, it doesn't. Um, but um, this is actually, this actually does work as a segue. We just, we had a lot of different <clears throat> things we want to talk about this week. And I think it is actually kind of all, all of a theme. Um, the Atlantic monthly, the, uh, God, one of the longest running monthly magazines, um, sort of culture, culture and art magazines, um, in the U.S. since since the 1800s, I think, um, is has gone full gossip on vaccines. So let me see. I have um, somewhere, if I can pull it up, if my thing will work here. Here we go. Zachary, you can show my screen now. This is um, just, just a PDF of the Atlantic article. Um, it's called, this is the Atlantic Daily. So this is just one of, you know, f- quickly produced. So this is not an extensively researched long time in the works piece by any means, but the Atlantic daily, not everyone needs to rush for a booster. So I'm on, I'm on the Atlantic's email list and I get their daily emails. And I saw this on the email and went and just downloaded the PDF. The United States is reportedly gearing up to authorize COVID-19 boosters for all adults. Should you snap one up or wait? Here's what to consider. Now the author of this, Carolyn Mims Nice, um, says, if the booster rollout is a TV show, as my colleague Rachel Gutman once joked, this evening bought it, brought a juicy, if not entirely unexpected plot twist. According to the New York Times, the FDA and CDC are moving to make Pfizer boosters available to all adults, not just those at higher risk. So should you rush out for your extra dose? To help you figure out what's right in your situation, I spoke with three reporters who have been covering the vaccine rollout. Sarah Zhang, Catherine J. Wu, and Rachel Gutman, previously mentioned, to weigh the pros and cons of running out immediately versus sitting tight. I'm going to share a few of these things, but that right there, that should be enough, right? So some, and I did not, I did not go and research any of these four women. They are apparently um, journalists who have been covering this story. 
that actually tells us nothing about whether or not they are they know anything, they have done any assessment on, of their own, whether or not they are able to. Um, what are you doing? Trying to find that date. Okay, can we? Yep. It's, it's very hard for me to talk with other things going on right here. Okay, so we have these four people um, who are maybe journalists, claim to be journalists, but we have no idea whether or not they've been right about stuff. And you know, I I could have done that, but. Um, here we have some of the things they say. This is this is supposed to be what you, the um, you know educated reader of the Atlantic, is going to look to to decide whether or not to get your booster. The say so of four people who have apparently no um, no particular background here. Why hurry? This is why hurry versus why wait on your booster. Why hurry? The shot will well give you a boost. You're likely already well protected from severe disease, hospitalization, and death thanks to your first course, Rachel pointed out. But the early science suggests that extra doses help your body produce additional antibodies, perhaps lowering your risk of infection. That's a lot of hearsay. And a lot of this, uh, this, this friend of mine says, therefore, let's do it. Why hurry? You're around higher risk people. Parents who are trying to protect unvaccinated kids, for example, might consider using a booster as an additional precaution, Sarah told me. So two things happening in that one. Sarah told me. So the person writing this article is taking no responsibility, but she's only deferring responsibility to someone else with an equal lack of, of actual ability to assess the evidence. You're around higher risk people, parents who are trying to protect unvaccinated kids, for example. Those two sentences put next to each other as they are makes it sound like Unvaccinated children are higher risk people. Yep. Unvaccinated children are not higher risk people. Unvaccinated children are very, very low risk people. Healthy children don't die from this disease. Healthy children are at some risk from the vaccines and at very much less risk, almost certainly, from the disease. Not only low risk from the disease, but there is a discussion that we are not having which is the, the vaccines, which is not the right term for them, but nonetheless, the vaccines, to the extent that they provide short-term protection, may actually stave off disease long enough that it is a danger. So for it children, is, yes. Yeah, it is yeah. not entirely unlike yeah. the situation that caused um, parents of our parents' generation to put kids of our generation in contact with each other when they had chickenpox, which was that it wasn't mm -hmm. a serious threat to our health as children. Yep. And it could be a serious threat to our health later. And so there was an argument for it. It was effectively a crude natural vaccination process. Mm -hmm. And the idea that, I mean, I guess the problem is that they've just simply rolled the logic in so that you don't check it. The idea yeah. that children need to be protected from this and therefore parents might do so by, right, is uh, upside down. Yep. Um, so anyway, yes, it's uh, it's it's just, it's like, um, uh, it's conversational argumentation that doesn't subscribe to any of the uh, the normal rules. Exactly. And because it is, it is produced here as if it's conversation, it is, I think, also being held to a lower standard even by most readers. So next one, you, wh why hurry? You plan to gather over the holidays. On average, antibodies peak three weeks post-booster, Rachel explained. 
how that's amazing. Three weeks post booster, and then it starts to decline. So that's something right there that they're even admitting that. But earlier, the very first one was um, early science suggests that extra doses help your body produce additional antibodies, perhaps lowering your risk of infection. So you just aiming for like the one moment when you think you're going to be at highest risk and you give three weeks post booster and then like that's your magic moment. And after that, you're you're less safe. Like none of this is tracking. None of right. this is, is, is a coherent message. Why wait? Why wouldn't you go get your booster right now, even though you're allowed to? We don't know how to optimize vaccine timing yet. Boosters haven't been available that long, so the science on timing is preliminary. You don't say. <laughs> extra doses mean extra chances of side effects. Getting a booster could increase your risk of rare side effects, Katie explained. Quote, there's a reason we don't boost unnecessarily, end quote. But that, she added, is not a reason to not get jabbed if you do need it. And how do you decide if you do need it, I wonder? That's left for us to decide. Finally, keep the bigger picture in mind. Boosters aren't a silver bullet, Katie reminded me. And though this won't be solved by you foregoing an extra shot, there are lots of people in the world who haven't even gotten their first dose yet. That's worth remembering. What? Yeah. It's a total non sequitur. Whether or not you are going to, for your own health, and because you have or have not seen various things about what these boosters are, what the vaccines that you got in the first place were, has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not there are people who you think should have had access to the vaccines and don't yet. Literally nothing. Yeah, Ab zero. There is zero relationship between those two things. This is this is typical, just garbage, pseudo causal, liberal liberal seeming argumentation that it, actually makes no sense. It's um, it's effectively like. Uh the clean plate club logic. Well, ex that's is exactly what it is. Yeah. That, that's that's ex I mean that's exact that's exactly what it's alluding to. Yeah. Right. You you have to eat your dinner because there are children in fill in the blank China, you know, starving. I don't know what people say anymore, but um, that no, actually, that's 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 a non sequitur. Yeah. It's a it's a non sequitur. I mean, the whole thing is a non sequitur, and so. But keep the bigger picture in mind, Brett. Well, but you know, there's something about the chatty pseudo-logical argumentation. Chirp, 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 chirp. Right. And in some sense, basically what this is modeling is if you're going to make this argument, you know, what will come back at you and what might you say, right? And it's, yes. it's sort of like it, it's just... Well, Katie said. Right. But, you know, you can imagine just substituting yourself as if you're being clever saying these things. Yeah. But the question is... You're not really being clever. Yeah. Did you hear that the booster's going to be available? Oh, my God. I did hear that, and I heard that if I take one now, that that might mean that someone else can't have it. So maybe I should wait. Because it's it's nonsense. Yeah. It's not the way that we should be making these decisions. And unfortunately, it is the way that a bunch of people are making decisions. And this is making that more likely. Yes. And in, in like increasing the odds that that chirpy, gossipy, like coffee clatch level of conversation is the basis for decisions about your health. No, no, it's not. No, it shouldn't be. Yes. It's going to be, you know, and in fact, it weirdly um, harkens back to what we were talking about earlier in the podcast, which is there are sort of two visions of uh, what, how you will be viewed based on your position, right? Yeah. And if you're like, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get the timing of my of my booster down, mm -hmm. right? The point is, well, that assumes that you're going to get one. It assumes that you should get one. Um, and the alternative of like, well, wait a minute, 
well, what about the adverse event signal and do we know what that means yet and right that thing well you're going to be shouted down and mocked and treated mm -hmm. as you know you're going to be treated as the cause of the pandemic if you know you're mm -hmm. vaccine skeptical here um and so the the point is you're being offered a choice do you want to go back to being chatty about this kind of stuff or do you want to be the villain right yeah. and can't we just get back to normal already i feel like it's you guys who are keeping us from getting back to normal yeah right yeah exactly and that is not what the evidence suggests at all not at all not at all. Okay. Um, let's finish up with something, and now for something completely different. All right. Uh, although I alluded to it earlier. Um, I was taking a walk this morning before our live stream. And it, you know, we have, we've traveled so little in almost two years now. And both of us love to travel, feel that it's important, feel that, um, you know, it was we would have been able to show our boys so much more of the world by now because this was exactly the age at which we could have been exploring places with them and it just hasn't been possible and it's a it's a huge loss uh one thing is we have been able to see um every moment of the change of the place we're in uh, we are able to just you know watch not just seasonal changes at the level of months um but you know, which the, the order in which the leaves fall from which trees and, um, you know, the way that the rain, uh, if it comes just as they're about to fall, as opposed to after they've fallen, changes the patterns in which they are left on the ground and, you know, all, all sorts of things. Um, but it prompted me, and I already mentioned how, how happy everyone seemed out there today, how willing to share their joy everyone seemed to be out there today and how wonderful that was. I was thinking of a, a student I had many years ago, obviously. I haven't had a student in a, in a few years. Um, I actually don't remember much about him. I don't think that he was your student either. Um, but he was looking for a winter quarter project. Uh, he was he wanted to come into my program in the spring. We were on a quarter system. So winter quarter would have been January through middle of March, really you know, the darkest, wettest, sort of dreariest time in the Pacific Northwest. And he didn't see anything in the catalog to entice him. And he was looking for maybe an independent contract, which is like, you know, you, I, I do research, but I'm not actually taking a, a set curriculum. Um, and I recommended to him, as I did to all students who were um, not already dedicated to some particular uh, curricular or other plan uh, in the winter and who were who were free at some level. I said, you know, go south, travel. You know, either find uh, a research project to be an assistant on or go, you know, go woofing, uh, like um, volunteering on organic farms, which a lot of our students did because they were sort of those, you know, crunchy liberal types and, and good, honest work. And they got to interact with people from different different places and, and have their hands in the dirt and all this. Um, or, you know, often what I would recommend was because a lot of our students really didn't have very much money um, was given how much you want to learn in school, take the quarter off. Do not pay evergreen tuition and take the quarter off and travel. Like go, go somewhere and just travel and like actually be with other people who don't remind you of anyone you know and learn the language well enough to interact with them. And, um, and you will be transformed in ways I can't even begin to tell you. And, um, 
often when people resisted that from me as, oh no, I, you know, I just need to, I just need to finish college. You know, can I get college credit for that? I'm like, I will, I will not sign off on giving you college credit for travel. Travel is perhaps the best education you can get, but I'm not going to hand over college credits for that, even though, you know, I'm supposed to do that as you know, an employee of the state, et cetera. Like I won't, I won't do it. Um, they say, oh, you know, I'm scared. Oh, I'm like, lots of reasons that people didn't want to go and travel independently or even, you know, woof or do one of these other things. But his, and I, I wish I remembered his name, I feel like it was Matt, actually, but I think that's probably just because we've been talking about Matt's. Um, his explanation for why he didn't want to leave um, the area around Olympia for the winter was one I hadn't heard before, and I really respected it. And it was, he wasn't from, he was from the Midwest, if I remember correctly, uh, and he had moved to uh, Olympia a year or so before starting school so that he could establish residency so that he had a tuition that was would put him in less in debt. And he'd been there for a full year and was now beginning his his second year and could see already how much things were even different from that first year. You, know, you live in a place for one year and you feel like that's what it's like here, right? And then you live in a place for a second year and you realize, oh, maybe that was an unusual year. You know, there, there are going to be commonalities, but it's, it's hard to know what to make after one year. And he said, I want to stay in one place, like actually really fully one place for the full year and not, you know, go backpacking in this and that and the other like I did the first year before I was in school, because I want to see at the day-to-day -day level, and this wouldn't have been the language he would have used, but by controlling for place, what is it that changes over time about this environment that I'm in? Because that's the way to learn about a place more than um, by dipping in here and there and by thinking, oh, well, you know, spring is like this. Well, what about this spring? What about the, what about last night was dry and today is wet? And how does that affect um, the animals that I see and how it feels when I walk out the door dressed a certain way? Uh, and I thought as much as you already mentioned this, you know, I, I want to be traveling. I want to be able to go places I haven't seen before. And I want us to be able to take our children places they haven't seen before. Um, but actually really getting to know a place intimately and paying attention to all of the changes, not just the broad seasonal and, and climate level changes, but the weather changes and the, you know, the migrations big and small is, uh, is another way into understanding the world that you're in. Yeah, and in fact, um, a hybrid model where you travel and then you stay put somewhere is actually, in many ways, the best way to mm -hmm. discover something important. It's very easy to travel lightly through mm -hmm. an area, and you know you get a glimpse of Three a lot days of stuff, here, four days right? There. But coming to know, you know, a foreign city is a mm -hmm. really fascinating thing, um, and uh, you know, even it's great if you have you know, even a week in a place can be a lot, especially if you make use of it. Um, but sometimes if you can move someplace for a couple months, you can really get an understanding of uh, what another, an alternative location on earth is, is like. Yeah. Um, so it's an experience I think most people just don't uh, get to have, you know, it's too tough to arrange it. It's, and especially, you know, once, once you do have a job that keeps you in place, although increasingly jobs don't necessarily need to, or a family and, you know, in schools and such, um, it's harder to do. And so I, you know, I do encourage those, um, who are without those kinds of commitments, uh, I was going to say once it's possible again, although, you know, it, it, it may be possible for some people now, uh, it's not it's not clear what all the restrictions are in all of the places. You know, there are places certainly now that I wouldn't go that I would have thought I would have gone yeah. 10 years ago. Um, but 
but both being absolutely where you are and then also uh, choosing to go places that are far from what you think you need in order to be comfortable and you know not going to the Disney-fied versions of uh, foreign places, but actually going to the real things uh, just provides benefits that are unquantifiable. Yep, absolutely. Is there anything else to talk about? I think we may have gotten there. All right. I mean, there is lots of stuff to talk about, but um, it's Thanksgiving next week. We'll be we'll be back uh, two days after Thanksgiving. But um, this that was sort of a a way to talk about being grateful for where where we are and uh, and looking forward to even more amazing things in the future. So we're going to take a fifteen minute break. Um, we'll be back with a live Q and A. You can ask your questions at darkhorsesubmissions.com. Email logistical questions that you may have to darkhorsemoderator at gmail.com. Right now at my Patreon, you can ask questions for our live, our private Q&A. We've got that um, Welcome to Complex Systems uh, merchandise up now at our store, which is um, not on the screen, but here it's, I don't yep. see it on the screen. Um, store.darkhorsepodcast.org there it is um, so for those listening store.darkhorsepodcast.org and um, we met, we didn't say anything about um, about a hunter-gatherer's guide to the 21st century which uh, continues to sell well and we continue to hear from people who are being um, affected positively by it and we really we appreciate that and uh, we love that it is continuing to spread and um, we hope we hope that that continues into the distant future and encourage you to get a copy if you haven't yet. All right. All right. Be good to the ones you love, eat good food, and get outside. Be well, everyone.